Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Welcome to Binge Boys. This is a podcast where a couple of nice fellas talk streaming. I'm Hal Rudnick, and with me, as per usual, Lon Harris. Lon, hey, it's Turkey Week. Is it? Yeah, it is. It's tur- it's Turkey Week. That's what we've dubbed it here in the U.S. There's no other. There's no other term you can use. So we're not. It's not Owl Nation this week. It's Turkey Nation. Oh, hoot hoot! No, it's gobble gobble. How did you? Not, I just said it's not owl nation. Gobble gobble and hoot hoot. Okay. All right. We'll copy, Hashtag copy. Turkey Nation. There you Hashtag go. Turkey Week. Hashtag Owl Nation. Well, now right, there's going to be all the people tweeting with the hashtag Owl Nation and all the people tweeting with the hashtag Turkey Nation, and they're not going to find each other. Now it's a big mess again. These tens wow. of thousands of tweets need to be organized. Now that's what I'm saying. Oh my God, this podcast is one minute old and I've already shit the bed. Yeah, I just, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Going to be divergent conversations now. <laughs> are you going to be eating cranberry sauce and stuffing? No, not cranberry sauce. It's uh, gross. I mean, and, and that's one of those foods. I'm just going to, I'm going to go on a Dennis Miller style rant here, right? I was actually. Yeah, you are coming in blazing with a hot take. I was about to actually say, I don't want to go off on a rant here. And then I was like, Jesus Christ, cha-cha, you got to spend that time. <laughs> Cranberry sauce, I don't like it. And that's fine. Some people like it. Some people don't. It's a matter of taste, whatever. But I'm not one, a fan either. It's I'm, one I'm of those foods. Either. There is this whole category of food where if you tell someone you don't like it, they don't accept your answer. They're like, you've never had it the way it's meant to be eaten. Deep dish pizza is another one of these. And I like deep dish pizza. But if you tell someone you don't like Chicago deep dish pizza, they will never just be like, yeah, it's not for everybody. It's basically a casserole. We just call it pizza. They will be like, oh, well, you just haven't had it at the right place. You know, like it's that it's that thing. And I don't like that. I feel like it's a very hostile move. I mean, I well, that's I don't know. I think we're talking apples and oranges here, or cranberries and deep dish pizza, because cranberries that that's in a you know that's a cranberry sauce that's a certain taste, and especially on your meat, I can understand that. But deep dish pizza, like if you don't like deep dish pizza, like do you even like pizza? Do you eat lasagna? Are you like lactose intolerant? Like what's your deal? A lot of people do reject deep dish pizza. Not me. I'm a fan, but I, the the idea because it's kind of mushy and it, it's not conventional pizza. It's a different pizza experience. I'm open to it. Those people need to talk to my good friend, Mr. Lou Malnati. <laughs> but you're, right? doing, you're doing the reverse, which is like, well, I don't accept your answer that you don't like it. You, yeah, I, and it's like that some people just don't like things. Listen. Also, Lou Malnati, very close sounding to Illuminati. Oh, on purpose. Lou founded the Illuminati. <laughs> the original guy. He invented deep dish pizza, and he was like, well, I've conquered this meal. I fig- I figured out food. There's no food greater than this large wad of dough with a few layers of cheese and then, like, a sausage patty on top, bafflingly. He's like, that's it. Chicago pizza figured out. What can I do next? I know. Secret cabal to run the world. But Lon... So you have on one side Lou Malnati's Illuminati, but then on the other side, lurking in the shadows, just biding his time, Little Caesar. (laughs) You're not supposed to call him that to his face. Only behind his back do you call him. Oh yeah, he he, uh, he'll give you a Glasgow handshake. Stab 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 stab. stab. Uh, Juan, happy uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody listening. What's uh? I know you have a couple of tidbits. Uh, from your streaming newsletter, because you are the most knowledgeable man in streaming, uh, Lon, a.k.a. the Professor Harris. What's going on? What's going on? What's on, what's in the news? Well, you know, people are talking about this Last of Us show. HBO is going to turn the, those video games, those very sad, dreary video games where it's like, but why must I kill? You know, that thing. Yeah, like zo- zombie-based video game. Well, there are they zombies? They're, they are cannibalistic. At, it, it's basically, there's a fungus that causes an illness that turns people into cannibalistic, crazy freak monsters. Hey, they're, they're like zombies. They're not the traditional, like, lurching around, bedraggled, look like people, but green faces. They look different, but they're, they're functionally zombies. 
and they cause the fall of civilization and everybody's bummed about it. Uh, and it's going to be Craig uh, Mazin, the guy who did Chernobyl. He's going to write this new series. Yeah. By the way, uh, if you haven't watched Chernobyl, pretty fantastic. Jared ha- Harris, Stellan Skarsgård, Emily Watson, and like the production value on that limited series was just like mind blowing. Yeah, I like Chernobyl a lot. Also, Craig Mazin, roommates with Ted Cruz in college. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> very outspoken about his negative experiences living with Ted Cruz. So he had to go through all of that. The least you could do, folks, is watch his television show. Am I right? Am I right or am I? Yeah, right. right? Oh, what a buzzkill being roomies with Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz. Yeah, apparently Ted Cruz is like a, a real weird guy. But one time, like Ted Cruz tweeted something about, you know, like, I don't they like sexual impropriety or family values or whatever. And, and Mazza was basically like, yeah, the guy's a chronic masturbator. Like, like just airing <laughs> out all of his collegiate dirty laundry while he was running for uh, Senate. I found it very. Oh, didn't was it Ted Cruz that who tweeted like something about like a porn? Like, didn't Ted Cruz tweet something about like porn star Lisa Ann or something? Perhaps. I don't I don't remember the specific incident you're discussing. Lisa Ann, you may know, portrayed Sarah Palin. She was right. I was about to say she was Nalen Palin, right? That's her claim to fame. (laughs) Yeah. I recall that. Yeah. Oh, also, she's known for watching the like sports drafts, like the NBA draft, and then being like, oh, I want to have I want to have sex with that guy and contacting Oh, okay. Uh, like so right, like it's like way. like yes, like one of those like when the, when the fast food places have the menu up, and you're like, let's see, I'll do the Santa Fe chicken sandwich and like the new power forward for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, it's so sad that like our closest comp to that is picking something off a of fast food. Menu. Well, I don't get to Maybe order. I don't order sexual partners off of a visual menu. Like, what am I going to compare it to? But I'm asking you, if you could have sex with one NBA player, who would it be? <laughs> Detlef Schrempf, obviously, I think is the answer. Great right? call. Yeah, like Great call. Right? I mean, immediately, that's where my mind goes. I would probably choose uh, former Seattle supersonic Gary Payton, because his nickname is The Glove. And that, to me, tells me, oh, this is going to be safe sex. Right, yes. He'll always wear a glove. Gary Payton seems like he would be a very sensitive, more, more tender than Detlef Schrempf, I feel like. Yes, because as a basketball player, he dishes out assists. So you know he's a giving lover. He's generous. Yes, he's going to be good giving in game. Exactly. We have gone completely off the rails. Juan, oh, you couldn't contain yourself with excitement about the Taylor Swift news. I, that is not accurate. But yes, there Taylor Swift. There is news today. Taylor Swift, uh, she's going to release a surprise concert she's calling it a concert film it's really her and her collaborators from her most recent album folklore and they're in a recording studio together playing the songs together she directed this film herself and it's coming this week it's going to be uh wednesday at 12:01 a.m pacific time it goes up so quite quite soon in hours from after we're recording this by the time you all hear this podcast it will be live on disney plus so you can check that out. And it is it, the, the interesting side note here, sort of sign of our times. They made this album remotely during quarantine. So recording this film was actually the first time all the people who played on the album were in the same place at the same time. Oh, yeah. Do you want to hear how that went? Sure. Oh, it's great to meet you face to face. Oh, yeah. Great to meet you in person. Oh, hello. Oh, good to see you again. I haven't seen you since we were on the Zoom. Great to see you. Oh, good to see you. Oh, in the flesh. There they are. I'm sure it was a like lot that. Of that. I, yeah. I, I, I'm wagering. I would put $100 on. Someone did the like, well, it's nice to meet you uh, non-virtually. IRL. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said that for sure. Even if you're Taylor Swift, you have to. There's no, there's no other protocol for person I've only teleconferenced with who I'm now face-to-face with. Totes, totally. Uh, Lon, I used to be, uh, like, you know, Taylor Swift and Katy Perry used to have kind of a rivalry. Like, you mean in the public eye or for your personal affections? Well, (laughs) I I don't want to kiss and tell. (laughs) But I I used to be Team Katy, but I've become more of a Swifty over the years. This is one of those ones where I am, I am, I feel like for a 41, almost 42, in a few days for a 42 year old man by the time you listen to this podcast i will be 42 
Wow, Lon, happy birthday. My birthday this year is on Thanksgiving Day. Like one year out of every like six to eight years, my birthday actually falls on Thanksgiving Day. I used to hate it when I was a kid because it would be like, no, I don't, what? It's not my day. Now it's like we all hang out and eat stuffing. And then at the end, there's like, oh, and it's Lon's birthday. It's like your birthday becomes, it's like your birthday just becomes this one other aspect of this. Like at, at eight years old, this drove me crazy. But now it's like, ah, fine. Yeah. Happy birthday, Lon. Here's something you hate. Cranberry sauce. Yeah, it really is. It's a little bit. Because like on your birthday, you get to pick the meal. Like I like a lot of the sides, but nobody's like, I want Thanksgiving for my birthday meal. That's just dumb. <laughs> That would be weird. Especially a kid. <laughs> like, no kid is doing You want pizza or something. You don't want... Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to have three bean casserole for my birthday. Like, that's... Who wants that? <laughs> that was an adult. It's like, ah, fine. We have, you know, pie, whatever. Let's do it. You, you were going to tell us as a 41 going on 42. I, said for four, I feel like I have a goodly amount of... Like, I have a solid foundation of Taylor Swift and Katy Perry knowledge. They're like, get me through the world. I'm sufficiently aware of their work and who they are that I'm not going to like embarrass myself or like look like an old fart who doesn't know what he's talking about. But that's it. Like it doesn't go beyond that to where I have like nuanced, thoughtful takes on like one versus the like, like I'm aware that Katy Perry is just like, let's throw some beats together and then some like pop songs or whatever. And Taylor Swift is more like a songwriter and, you know, she's putting a little more. And actually I thought this folklore album that she did with the guy from The National, Aaron Dessner and Bonnie Bear, And like, it's pretty good. I like a lot of those songs. Like, it, it works for me. Like, I used to have a, you know, like the, the, the guy who likes different kinds of music be like, oh, I don't listen to like pop stars and that. Like, I wasn't into that stuff in like my 20s. But now that I'm old, I'm like, ah, music's music. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know too much about, I mean, I know a couple songs, but I, I, it, I'm mainly basing my fanhood on their images i used to think taylor swift was like just too much of like a prissy priss i don't know what that means are you allowed to say that i thought she was i don't know if you're allowed priss. to call people a prissy priss in, in 20 we'll, we'll check on the last standards <laughs> and practices and, check on that right on and i thought katie perry seemed like you know just more of a quirky kind of down-to-earth like chill gal but over time it's all I, nonsense though like all that stuff it's all just narrative because like Katy perry was a i know but like over time i i found like uh, i feel like Katy perry is a seems a little more image obsessed to me even though they all are like anyone in the public eye more or less and i like that taylor swift has gotten a little more political i really i really applaud her speaking up on things she cares about i think that's true and, and it was there was that there's that documentary if you can't see it lon is rolling his eyes right well, there was that documentary miss americana earlier this year that was about this about her becoming more politically outspoken i just feel like they, they, these stories it's like reality tv like it's fun and it's part of the show and it's entertaining and like i enjoy you know, I'll watch a Big Brother or something, but like you, you have to know on one level that like it's not really real. Like it's like elevate. You know, it's like heightened. These are yeah, very carefully curated images, but that, with a team of handlers. Yeah, like reality shows have writers, and that's all you need to know about them is that there are writers and they figure out what's going to happen. It's not a documentary in the traditional sense. But the writers on reality shows are called consultants or consulting producers, so they don't have to get paid Writers Guild wages. That's how they screw you. It doesn't spoil the illusion, you know. But it's the same with pop stars. Like, it's all thought out and calculated and scripted. It's a narrative. Because, like, Katy Perry was, like, you know, she was a Christian singer as a teen. And then they're like, well, she's a little old for that. And she, you know, like, ah, now she kissed a girl and she liked it. Yeah, go with that one. Like, Lana Del Rey is, is my favorite because her dad was one of the early guys who got really rich on the internet selling domains. Okay. Oh, is her dad named Mr. GoDaddy? Yeah, her dad, like, not, I don't think he owned GoDaddy, but he owned, like, a company like that and just, like, would sit on all of these domains and then sell them for a lot of money and made a lot of money and then use that money to buy his daughter a pop music career. And at first, she had an album that was, like, a pop singer named Lizzie Grant, and it was like, eh, people were, it, it didn't really fly, so they took a few years off, and then she came back, and it was Lana Del Rey, and she's like, I'm mysterious, and I'm a gangster, and it was like, it's all... Like, and, and it's not a knock on the music. Like, I like Lana Del Rey's newest album. Like, she's good. But it's just the personas is all just total made up nonsense. Yeah. Like, don't, 
Yeah, it's it's all a production number. It's all a production number. Smoke and mirrors. Juan, any other anything else that we should be made abreast of? <laughs> wow, we got off we got off track there. And the last thing I was talking to you about is the Queen's Gambit. So Netflix, they say Netflix counts views, and then they'll be like, "This is uh, the Queen's Gambit got sixty-two million households have watched the Queen's Gambit so far." And you hear that, and you think that means literally sixty-two million households turned on Netflix and watched like at least the full first episode of the Queen's Gambit. But they're counting two minutes, two minutes as a view. They that's what they that's what Netflix considers a view is if you watch the first two minutes. Now, bear in mind. You've used Netflix. Sometimes they'll just auto start playing things if you linger on them long enough. So they're literally counting. If it starts auto playing and you don't shut it off for two minutes, they're like, that's a view. That was one view. It's yeah, like, dis- despite what it said, I did not watch the ridiculous six. Yeah, it's like Donald Trump, Georgia math. It's like, well, that's a legal view. That's an illegal view. So Queens Gambit got more view. It's like, come on, that's ridiculous. So anyway, always take, my message to all of you is always take that stuff with a grain of salt. If any of the streaming companies, but especially Netflix, is like, 500 million people have watched this so far, be like, nah, they didn't shut it off immediately. That's all that. They're means. cooking the review. They're cooking the views. So, like, nobody has a perfect, actual, real metric for this stuff. The companies don't tell us. And there's companies like Nielsen that are trying to come up with technology to measure how many people are, are watching. It's very imperfect right now. So always take that stuff with a grain of salt. But Queen's Gambit. Well, we do have some real world evidence that Queen's Gambit is very popular. One thing that has been independently reported, sales of chess sets around the world have massively spiked since the show debuted last month. Like fivefold sales of chess sets are way up. So people are like getting interested in chess again because of this show. Wow. That's some exciting news right there. Is it? That's not very exciting. It's interesting. I don't know if it's exciting. Well, you know, I am a little bit excited because chess, I consider somewhat of a cerebral pursuit. And it's nice to hear people like people on mass doing something cerebral instead of just, you know, the basic, the straight up trolling. It only takes eight to 10 chess matches and you don't believe in QAnon anymore. That's all it takes. Oh, praise be. You're just like, you know what? That, that adrenochrome stuff doesn't make any sense. Uh, what a fool I've been. Yes. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Lon, one last question before we uh, jump into, we had a couple of shows that we w- both watched. What's your fave piece of Thanksgiving centered media? Oh, interesting. I, I mean, it's probably kind of a generic answer. So for that, I apologize that I don't have a I don't have a real outside the box one. But planes, trains and automobiles. For That's me, it. That is it. Lon. Easily the greatest Thanksgiving theme, specifically Thanksgiving theme piece of content. I think we I think we have. That's it, Lon. That's it, Lon. You and I um, both have halfway. decent. That proves we both have halfway decent taste. And we're both a couple of basic bitches. Yeah, I mean, because that's like, well, what are you going to pick? There's there's not really that many purely Thanksgiving themes. There's Home for the Holidays. Uh, I like to remind people that Scent of a Woman, this is an oft-forgot Thanksgiving movie, that the whole bit is he's watching Al Pacino or he's hanging out with him over Thanksgiving weekend. That's why he's off of school. I got a real love-hate relationship with that movie because Al Pacino stole an Academy Award from uh, Denzel Washington for Malcolm X, which is a towering performance. Al Pacino was good, but it was kind of a lifetime. Denzel's phenomenal as Malcolm X. I'm not arguing Denzel, but like, that's what they do is they, they ignore your early great work and then they award something. Okay. Yes. Scorsese should have won before the departed. This happened to Pacino. Like he got passed over for the towering work of his early career and then honored for set of a woman. And then it happened to Denzel Washington. He lost out for best actor for Malcolm X, but then he won it. For Training Day, which is a fine movie, and he's certainly good in it. Denzel already had an Academy Award for Glory, best but that's supporting. supporting actor, not not leading. Yes, that's what I'm pointing. Right, right, but uh, oftentimes it's to just get the trophy, get a trophy. But it's always that. Like, rarely do you get the the best actor for your first great role. It's like they figure it out ten years later, and they're like, oh god, 
We haven't given it to that. Like Amy Adams will finally get hers in like six or seven years. And they'll be like, oh, finally. What are we if thinking? you're in the like the tiny minority who have not seen planes, trains, and automobiles, it is just powerfully funny and so quotable. And then one of my favorite little, can I ask you a, a planes, trains trivia question, Lon? Just one of my favorite little things that it's a dumb thing I noticed, but I know you're a schmo down movie trivia competitor. What is the name of the book that John Candy is reading when we first meet him in the airport? I don't remember. I can picture the scene with him reading, but I don't remember what he's reading. It's erotic fiction called The Canadian Mounted. Yeah, that's great. That's a very good... I don't know if I've ever... Honestly, I don't know if I've ever noticed that joke, to be, now that you say it. I thought one time for a Schmodown prep match, I, I was asked, and I got this one, what's the name of the crummy motel that John Candy invites Steve Martin to come stay with him when they get when they can't uh, get on another flight? I don't know. It's the Braidwood Inn, and I was very proud to remember that. You called the airline. I called the Braidwood Inn. Nicely done. Good stuff, Lon. Good stuff, Lon. Yes. So, Planes, Trains, if you haven't seen it, it is terrific. Uh, go watch it. Who directed Planes, Trains? Uh, that would be Mr. John Hughes. John Hughes. Yes, yes, yes. Written and directed by John Hughes. I say this is from this. Now I'm going to court controversy. I think of all the John Hughes oeuvre to me, and I like a lot of the film. I think this is the one that holds up overall the best. Like, I liked them all when I was a kid. Now that I'm older, there are a few that don't hold up. I still love, I still like Weird Science. I still love Ferris Bueller. Yes. But I think overall, to me, Planes Trains is the winner. That's the best John Hughes. It's there. I mean, Breakfast Club. Yeah. I'm a little bored with Breakfast Club now. Like, obviously, it has its place in the cultural pantheon, and I'm not denying it. And I loved it when I was younger. But I don't, I don't know. That one kind of, I, I, I'm never inclined to revisit The Breakfast Club. I rewatch Planes, Trains, oh, and Automobiles. I, d- I disagree. I think, it's, I think it's just this, a, a time capsule and an absolute classic. ATD. <laughs> ATD. I mean, agree to disagree in internet. There we go. Gladly, Lon. So we watched a few shows this week. We watched all the show or a couple episodes, whatever. But we were going to give you a taste of uh, what we were thinking. Let's start off with Industry. On HBO. Oh, I hate these fucking kids. Yeah. Oh, and you had a piece of be- before. Kids. Uh, oh, sorry. Before we get into that. No, <laughs> no sorry. I, I got into industry too soon. Man, I, I want to dig into that a little bit. But you had a, a little bit of more streaming news. They're, they're dumping the whole thing on HBO Max. Oh, right. Yes. About industry. So we watched. I, you know, I saw the, what, there's two or three. I think the third one goes up this week. But before the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., they're just going to put the rest of the whole first season. It's an eight episode first season and they're not going to finish airing until like December on HBO, but they're just going to drop the whole show for binging this weekend on HBO max because they want more people to sign up for HBO max. And they don't think that Kaylee Cuoco flight attendant show is going to do it, I guess. And you got to wait until Christmas day for wonder woman. So they're like, fine, we'll just give you all of industry. And you know, probably, just anything to, to make HBO Max more appealing. And it's the first time they've done that. They've taken a show from HBO and they put episodes before they air on the network up on the streaming service. That uh, could be an interesting business model. I mean, that would might prompt me to explore if I know I'm going to get, oh, like, the, the you know, what's the next Watchmen or Lovecraft Country or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, we're going to get all that before... It airs weekly on HBO. Let's do it. But I don't. I wonder if they'd be so willing to do it with a show that was more successful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, we're just seeing so much. Just It's just they're all just sweetening the pot at this point. They've all got their play. It is what it is. Netflix is like way off in the lead. And then Disney Plus is like right there chasing them. And then everybody else is like, all right, well, we got, you know, we're Shudder. We got other stuff, too. And like basically everyone else's plan is like, kind of working, kind of not working. They're all sort of in the middle and you've just got, you know, Netflix and Disney like running away with it. Shudder seemed kind of like sad and emo for like a spooky horror company. Well, Shudder's AMC and they've got an interesting, I mean, AMC's basically like... No, I'm just talking about your impression of the show. Oh, yeah. Well, but but it's like, I like what AMC's doing. I think it's interesting. Instead of doing the HBO Max, like we're going to take everything we own and dump it on one thing. They're coming up with all these little niche ones. So there's like Shudder for horror, and then there's Acorn TV, which is also AMC, which is just for 
you know, like British shows and European shows and like, you know, late ladies investigating murders, you know, like, and so they, they you know, they've got like the uh, one called, I think, UMC, like the Urban Movie Channel and like a few of those. And it's like they're cheaper and you just get a little kind of niche, but they're, you know, like catered to your taste rather than just being like a dumping ground for everything. And that's a cool idea. Like a little boutique. Right. But the idea that a lot like a lot of Americans are just going to like a la carte, like constantly do this, like pick out five or six little streaming services that suit their taste. I like my streaming services more like a big box store than a boutique. I want to get the boutique items, but I want to be able to walk over a couple aisles over and get like a some action figures or something. Yeah, I think most people think it's going to be that. It's just going to be like everybody's going to pay for their two or three services and that's it. And you're either one of those or you're not. All right, let's uh, let's get back into industry, a show that apparently Lon hated. I didn't hate the show. Let me clarify right up. This is I, I fully accept that this is a personal problem for me. And some people would probably like the show and it is not a bad show. It's just agreed. I don't consider it a bad show at all. It is very much a primetime soap opera about very good looking young people, a diverse cross section of very good looking young people, all fine actors, I'm sure. And they all get this job for this London investment bank. And I just hate Yeah, high-profile internship in one of the, the Piermont, I think it's called on the show. Yeah, Pierpoint. Uh, Pierpoint, I want to say it's called. Yeah, they're, sure. they're, right. And it's doing everything you'd expect from Hal's description. It's like, there's the, the backstabbing, and these people are going to be allies, and these people are going to betray them, and th- these this loyalty and that. And there's like, this is why the, the job is so high pressure, and this is how these, they're, here's how everybody's going to deal with the pressure, and like, some people go out and do drugs all night and some people go home and sleep in the office all night, you know, like whatever, back and forth. And you're, you're getting all that. And it really, it does feel like very much like that kind of a show, like a soapy primetime workplace drama, you know, romance, whatever. It's just that like, why do these kids want to work in a fucking bank? Like it's so gross and awful. And it's not, I thought it was going to be kind of like succession, like a little bit of a, satirical or like a commentary about like young people going into finance this like soulless money chasing horror show where you're just like sucking up money from people who need it and like giving it to like people on yachts and like and it's just like there's no moment there's no moment where anybody is like why do i even want to do it's just assumed that it's like yeah money is everything And these people want to own the world. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the moment on the podcast where Lon learns that people like money. It's not, listen. And I'm not saying I agree with that point of view. It's not saying it's unrealistic, Hal. Of course it's realistic. Millions of people or thousands of people work for banks. I'm just saying, like, it's gross. And, like, the fact that none of them are even having a second thought about why they want to do this with their lives. And they're just, like money grubbing whores basically on one level like was just like well what well fuck all these people like what why do i want them i don't want them to hook up and be happy and like live off of the fat of the the rest of us's labor i i hear you you know there's an underdog character like the central characters young american this woman of color and that's exactly what i'm saying like she's an underdog in this show but in life she's gonna become a Well, I don't know. Maybe she is also an underdog in life because, you know, she had to lie about her, her college transcripts and everything. But is it heroic to rise from nothing and dream of like crushing people under the boot of late capitalism? Because this show says yes. Like it was like Bombshell. Do you see Bombshell that Jay Roach Fox News movie? So that movie was just like women being empowered in the workplace is good. And I think we'd all or you and I at least would agree with that as a premise. And they're like, we're going to take that and apply it to Fox News and never question like, but why would you want to work at Fox News? Anyway, we're just going to make it about, but women in power. Megyn Kelly, Megyn Kelly was given a real free pass. in that. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, well, it's such a hero moment, like to boldly quit your job at Fox News. Like you shouldn't have been fucking working at Fox News, you piece of shit. 
And like, yeah, and guess what? She went to NBC and was extremely ignorant on the issue of blackface. And now she's back pandering. It's not even her. It's it's Margot Robbie's like fist in the air. Like, you go, girl. You go pollute people's minds and brainwash them at some other outlet. You, yeah, can't wait for you to get to Newsmax. That That's the hero's journey in a nutshell. And like, this is the same. This is that same shit. It's like. Yeah, John Lithgow was a great sleazebag in that movie, by the way. This is what people were like accusing Succession of being. But Succession knows that it's about monsters. Yeah, I wouldn't compare this to Succession. I, I, I have, a, I think, a solid comp for this show. I would call it Euphoria meets Billions. Fuck that. Like, the kids from Euphoria are just, they're just kids. They're just trying to get by in the world. Ron, I will say, that the ki- this is like the kids from Euphoria post-college years. And it's also got the bomb, it's, it's also got some of the bombastic swings of Euphoria. Euphoria took storytelling and it dialed up the the debaucherous behaviors of high school students. Like, it's like widely known, like, oh yeah, no, like, this is like no high school in the country. Like Euphoria is really just on. It's extra. It's very extra. And so is this show. It's pretty cheeky, I'll say. And by cheeky, I mean there's like full frontal male nudity and there's like there's depictions of jizz. There's like it's very sexual. It's very drug oriented. Yeah, it's, it's doing the HBO like, ooh, young people doing drugs in the club. We're going to show you some genitals. Like it's yeah, it's playing that. It's playing that game. And, like, that's fine. And, like, look, have your sexy, glamorous, primetime, soapy dramas. I'm not against it as a genre. I just, like, really, the world of finance in 2020, this is what you've picked as your setting, and we're just never going to talk about how literally all of these people are just, like, fucking pieces of shit, and this whole thing is just about, like, soaking up as much money from the rest of us as humanly possible to spend on blow. Like, that's the goal. I, I hear that, and they are not casting enough judgment on, as you call it, Lake State. I don't need the show to be like, ooh, you terrible kids. Just some kind of perspective. Just somebody to be like, this is not the be-all, end-all. Like, it's so cool. It's presented as so cool. And there's never a moment, because the show doesn't, it wants you to think it's cool. So there's never a moment that deflates the coolness. It makes this look glamorous and awesome. But the program that they're in, it's an intense internship program where only a fraction of them are going to wind up with full-time jobs after it. So I, it, it's a very competitive, compelling backdrop. It makes their jobs look awful and, and soul-crushing and hard, but it never questions the goal. It's always like, well, this is bad, but one day... They're going to sit in the big man's chair, which is awesome. We all want to sit in the big man's chair. Like one day they're going to be the ones bullying everybody else. And ha ha, won't that feel satisfying? And it's like, no, man. Like, no, this is awful. They should quit. Like they should all leave. Like if they had better, if they had more perspective, like none, none of these people should want to work for this horrible place. Like, I mean, yeah, but like I kept waiting for that moment and like, and it doesn't need to be the whole show is that, but then it needed to take the... Well, then the show's the, over, Lon. It's a one-episode yeah. show. My ideal world, baby. Like, I wish this was set right before the Lehman Brothers crash and all these people got fired on episode two. I like the show. I have a different, a little bit of a different complaint. I just wish there was a little bit more backstory. Just a, just a tad... We're going in with such a blank slate on all of these characters. But stylistically, I really like the show. Like I told you, it reminded me of Euphoria a little bit. And I think it's kind of a cold clinical look. So yeah, it's not casting as much. Or I know you said uh, you weren't asking the show to cast judgment, but a little bit more of a conscience from these characters. It's not judge. Like, look, I don't want it to be like a preachy show that's like banking. Like, I don't I don't want it to be. a. am not saying it should be like a communist TV show about bringing down banks. I'm not asking for Fight Club here. I'm just saying, like, like to me, to make to allow me to sympathize on some level with these characters, ah, a little bit more being conflicted or having some goal that's larger than get rich, lord it over everybody else. Because even our protagonist, the, the main girl I'm blanking on her name, her goal is like, I want to prove that I belong here. Like, I came up from nothing and I got some shit to prove. And it's like, that's fine. I mean, it makes her more likable than the people who were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and just expect to be there. Sure. 
that's not really asking that much of me. But I, yeah, I would love some larger like like reason for her to not do something else. Like it's hard to root for someone on the basis of like she's got a chip on her shoulder and wants to shove that, it in everybody's. See, I think you're what you're saying is connecting with what I'm saying because. I wanted a little bit more point of view and backstory. And we just enter into this first day of work cold. Like it's literally lights up on the show and we're in the interview process to become an intern at this esteemed financial institution. But stylistically, the show is super cool. It's got a lot of synthesizer, which I really like. It's got like kind of an 80s new wavy synth soundtrack throughout. And one thing I I noticed, I didn't notice until the very end of the first episode, the first episode was directed by Lena Dunham. And I think the show definitely does have, like I I mentioned, Euphoria, also a little bit of girls sensibility in as much as girls is um, a time capsule of a certain type of person in part of the 2000s. And this... I'll tell you what, this, this, it reminded me of like I don't know like girls felt more like of its moment I think that was the appeal of girls is that it felt like you know when it came out that it was like oh it the generation defining or it captures the zeitgeist if you watch industry like just the slang and that people are using I think there's some connective tissue yes but honestly this feels it feels a lot like a show that could have come out in like 88 like other than like there's an Adderall subplot it keeps it sort of modern. There's there's texting and, you know, people have phones or whatever. But uh, otherwise, it basically feels like an it basically feels like a greed is good Wall Street. Like, here's a look behind the curtain at this crazy high stakes industry. And it's just like in 2020, do we still find this industry exciting? Like, are there still people who think like institutional banking like this is glamorous and cool? And the fact that these guys all yell at each other on phones all day and then go do a lot of cocaine and bars afterwards and like are misogynists and like are, are just chasing all of this money that making nothing, producing nothing, just soaking up all of the, the funds from the system. And, you know, half of it goes to billionaires and half of it goes in their pocket. Like, do we, Post Wolf of Wall Street, we still think this is cool. You know, now the more you're talking, I think your problem is with the banking system and not the show, Lon. I think you need to go occupy. But it's a show set in the banking. Like if you, yes, like partly, because if you're going to set a show there uncritically, then I'm going to be like, but that's awful. You know, like, why would you do that? Maybe because it is a soul-sucking... But that's not what the show's about. The show's just about, like, are these kids going to make it or are they going to wash out? Let's tune in. Like, they're going to find love and lose love on the road to becoming a bigger... No, you're making it a little too lighthearted. This show is very cold and clinical. I think it has this backdrop. Oh, she feels judged for her nose ring on her way to becoming a banker. Like, what? Don't be a banker then. There's so many things you could do. Yeah, but she wants to, you know, hustle and be a part of this world or she wants to make that money. Some people still do. It would be, you know what, it's a little bit to me like, like last, like during the, and and it's not, obviously, I'm not saying this is a one-to-one, but like if you were making a cop show this year, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, how they were like, how do we do a cop show now that sort of public sentiment has kind of. That a lot of people, yeah, that all these issues with the police have come out and a lot of and people are running around saying a cab. And, and I feel like since Wall Street and Glengarry and Boiler Room made stocks and investments and banking seem sexy and fun and crazy and cool, public sentiment has shifted and industry is just what if it didn't, though? Like, what if you still thought working in this kind of building, doing this kind of work was like, that was pretty cool. She talked her up from three points to four. No, I I disagree. I think it's more of a clinical look. I think it's more of a clinical look at this financial. It's not clinical. Come on. How many people like hook up during this single first hour of this show? It's not clinical. You got to admit it's not clinical would be like margin call. It's not praising this business. It's not praising this business. Yes, it's it's bombastic. It's making it look fucking awesome. It's making it look exciting and intense. It's making it's making it look awesome. This guy had to do coke and he died because uh, he couldn't handle this job. Yeah, but that hey, some people wash out, man. But like that exhilarating moment when she talks the lady up and then Miles from Lost is like, remember this moment for the rest of your life, man. Like. That's the show. That's the whole show. You're supposed to be thrilled as she 
finds this unexpected success and rises the ladder. Like we're following her journey to become, you know, the top gun of this program and get her position. And of course there's going to be, Oh, she's conflicted. She has to do this thing that she feels guilty about. Cause that's how the drama works. Yeah, I, I just disagree that they're painting the, this financial company to be an objectively good thing. It's like Fritz Lang's thing about a war film. He would say like, you can't make a, an anti-war film because by virtue of making an action focused movie during a war, you make war exciting. And, I'm saying the same thing. By making a sexy, glamorous, romantic drama set at a bank, you make banking look sexy and glamorous and exciting. And I don't think it's that romantic. Like, sex is like a commodity here. It's cheap. All right, we don't have to keep arguing about this with the whole show. But, like, characters don't sit around and say, like, you know what's great? Banks. But the virtue of the fact that it's this show and that's where it's set, that's all you need. Like, that's... Well, yeah, it's making banking look exciting. It's an exciting show set at a bank. So banking comes off looking exciting. It's full of glamorous, attractive people winning and losing. It makes it makes that look exciting. That's I think it paints the financial industry in this particular company as kind of like a cold, potentially dangerous monolith that you're going to try to win over. But I don't give a shit about cold and cutthroat. That's most industries. It's not that's not the, the problem. The problem is it is a parasitic leech that has attached itself to our society and is ruining millions of lives. And like, this show is just like, but what? But it's also cool to work there. Like you're saying they're, you're saying they're showing this company and working in this industry as like cool and exciting. I'm saying they're portraying it as like trying to make friends with a cobra. It might kill you or you might have a cool venomous friend. No, because there's no upside to making friends with a cobra. It would be like true. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on my, my my analogy there. It's like trying to start a relationship with a criminal. There's a potential downside because they might go to jail or get you involved in a crime. But think of the upside. How exciting! Be with a criminal. What if, what if you get caught? Wouldn't that make it more even more exciting? And look how good looking they are. It's like that. Where it's like it's constantly like it's pretending to be conflicted, but the very fact that this piece of content exists means it's really not conflicted. It's already made its uh, its mind up that this is a place we want to spend all this time and we want to invest in these people and in their world. And I'm just like, I don't want to invest in these people in their world. Fuck these people. Gotcha. Yeah. See, I like the way it's told and I, I feel like it's keeping the subject matter, the financial stuff a little more at arm's length. It hasn't, it's not leaning into <laughs> like, it. What if I made a show about arms dealers and I was like, they do a really good job. And honestly, the stuff about moving bazookas to you know, insurrectionists. They keep that in the background. Like, no, you shouldn't work for arms dealers. Like, that's, that's, that, I feel like that's kind of the give and take. Like, you're right. They do de-emphasize the negative consequences of what these people do. Industry. Industry. It's all going to be on HBO Max. And by the way, if you hear any heavy breathing in the background, it's not me masturbating. It's my dog, Millie, who is panting. Masturbating. Okay. Yes. My, it's my dog, Masturbating. Very glamorous and exciting. Lon, there was a, a big old reboot on Hulu. Animaniacs, welcome back. They're back. I This one was hard. It was hard. I, I, I watched a bunch of these. And I, 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 found it, I found it difficult to determine how I felt about them. Obviously, on one level, it's fun to have Animaniacs back. I was a huge fan when this show was on TV in its initial cartoon run in the 90s. Yeah, very smart. Just a lot of funny pop culture references. And additionally, many jokes that are just like straight up for not kids. Right, it's that sensibility of, it's like Looney Tunes style cartoons with the slapstick and the violence and the zaniness and the gags. But then it's also like very contemporary and smart pop culture criticism and more like current TV sort of content smooshed together. That was always like the Animaniacs formula that worked so well. And they're doing that and they're doing a nice job of it in the new one. I just, I don't know. Part of me was like, I, it just doesn't feel like, it feels like the episodes are too long because they're a full half hour and it used to be more like 20 minutes. I feel it sort of drag a little bit. And I just, the whole style, it almost feels too updated. Like the old Animaniacs to me felt very much like the style of a Looney Tune cartoon yes it definitely has that thing because in looney tunes one of the just delightful things about so many looney tunes episodes you know they're being made in what the 40s and the 50s 
like through the 60s and yeah. Yeah. And so you see these homages to the stars and the media of the time, like, you know, Gone with the Wind or Frank Sinatra or Humphrey Bogart. One of my one of my favorites is, you know, that Looney Tunes gag they use all the time where like Bugs running away from Elmer Fudd or something and he jumps into a lake. And then he'll put like a reed in his mouth and put part of the reed above and use it like a snorkel. You know that old bit? It's in like a dozen Looney Tunes. And I, as a kid, I had no point of reference for it. There's a Warner Brothers film called I Was a Fugitive from a Chain Gang from the 30s. And Paul Mooney stars in it. And he does that bit. He's hiding. He's escaping the chain gang. He jumps into a pond and he uses a reed to breathe. And that's what Bugs Bunny is always referencing. And it just totally went over my head. There's one more really good example. Do you remember that penguin cartoon where Bugs Bunny goes to the North Pole? Chili Willy? Yes, befriends a penguin. But is it specifically Chili Willy? No, I believe this is a, this is the Warner Brothers. This is not a recurring penguin. Right, a big-eyed, cute penguin. Yeah, right. Bugs becomes like a foster father to this baby penguin who, like, cries every time he tries to leave. And it's sort of pathetic. Oh, yeah, he cries ice cubes. Ice cubes. Okay, you remember, right. So in that in that cartoon, Bugs a few times encounters Humphrey Bogart, and he always says, "Pardon me, Mac, but can you steak a fellow American for a hot meal or something like that?" And I, I just thought it was like a random running gag as a kid. But that's Bogart from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. He's he's stranded in that Mexican town, and he's always asking people like to stake him five cents for a hot meal. My, my favorite homage to Treasure of Sierra Madre is in uh, UHF, where this guy is selling bad, or th- it's like a zoo show, TV show, where that where he needs badgers. Raul's Wild Kingdom is what you're talking about. Oh, well played. And he said, badgers? We don't need no stinking badgers. We don't need no stinking badgers. You're right. That is very well done. That is actually a Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah. Off the line, badges, we don't need no stinking badges. Right. I don't think that... It's one of those quotes that people get like a little off. Like, I don't think that's exactly the original quote. I don't know. Oh, yeah, here it is. The actual line is badges. We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. So that's what he actually says in Treasures of the Sierra Madre. And we don't need no stinking badges is where our pop culture yes, it's memory. Become conflated. It's conflated. Be- yeah, a little uh, paraphrased over time. Paraphrased yeah. over time. Do you feel lucky, punk? Like, that's not exactly right either. Right, right, right. Yep, Eastwood gets changed. So, yeah, it's got a lot of fun, smart references. I feel one of the things that the time period is different, obviously, where this, where Animaniacs is taking place now, because we are in a post-South Park, post-Family Guy, American Dad world where, like, this type of humor and these type of jokes are beaten to death. Not to mention, we live in the world of memes and the and Twitter and Instagram, where just, like, these quick jokes, these social, like, references, these media references, like, they are beaten to death. So I think because of that, Animaniacs doesn't feel as unique and fresh. You know what yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I was saying. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble determining is I've just aged out, if it's just the time, is it's a different time now or if it's not quite as good but it didn't quite hit me and i've gone back and rewatched some of the classic it's not like i'm just old now and i'm not into it anymore i don't exactly know it also just feels like some of it just kind of doesn't like just feels like weirdly dated like the third episode the warner brothers and and sister go to like an olympics and they they meet this like hans and franz guy who's like the nemesis for the cartoon and it's just like who or what is that even parodying? Like, it's just, they even they even do a meta joke at one point about how it's just like a lazy stereotype. And it's like, it literally feels like Hans and Franz, like that exact character. Yeah, that's like uh, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, and it's just like, man, that is lazy. Like, why not just pick a more, like, why not make him like Ryan Lochte or like Michael Phelps or like. Yeah, or, oh, Johnny Weir. Johnny Weir is like, that guy is fucking fabulous yeah you're right it doesn't feel as like it's cutting to the quick or it's like this revolutionary thing that we haven't seen before because it kind of was one of the grandfathers of this cartoon characters talking about these things now it's just oh 
And we are doing something that a lot of other people are doing, and it doesn't feel as fresh and on point. The animation, too, it doesn't, it's not an exact update. They took the animation and they like Ren and Stimpy fight it by like 20%. Like it feels a lot more like a Cartoon Network sort of style than like a classic Looney Tune style. It's like there, there's like a little bit of that more like grotesque, like cow and chicken or Ed, Ed and Eddie sort of look stylization to it which I, I, I thought it was just going to look like Animaniacs again. Uh, it is nice to have 2D animation for TV. We were talking about whatever that Blood of Zeus one was. Like, it's cool that it's cool that these streaming services are funding more conventional animation styles. I don't know. I was, I was only lukewarm, and I was, I was a little disappointed because I was really excited about this reboot in particular. You know what? It didn't blow my mind, but it did scratch the itch. I, I enjoyed it well enough. It, it, it put me in a good mood watching it. And it wasn't so bad where I was like, oh, man, they really lost. No, it. no, it's it's still fun and it's got charm. And there were some jokes that I thought were really, really good. And yeah, the Jurassic Park opening was fun. Yeah, I was at like a 10 for excitement and I'm down to like a seven, seven and a half. Some people watched it and were calling for a boycott of Warner Brothers. Did you hear about this long? Yes, yes, I did. Because of the Johnny Depp joke? I, I did. I, I mean, I think that a, some of this stuff with reboots and revivals is just inevitable. Like, people don't want to face how much they've changed or their tastes have changed. And they it's easier to blame, well, it's just not good now. And it used to be good. And I was like, this is not an issue with Animaniacs. But I find that whenever they do that, like, they bring actors back to do, like, a revival of a comedy many, many years later. like. Blues Brothers 2000, probably the classic example, but even like Bill and Ted Face the Music, which I thought was really good. There's just something inherently sad about seeing these people you loved returning to these roles and looking much older. There's just something inherent about that that is like a bummer. That it rem It's a constant reminder that like everything changes, you know, like everybody gets old and it just kind of makes it like the, the Pee Wee movie that came out on Netflix. Did you watch that? Yeah, the Netflix one. It's not their fault that Paul Rubens looking old and playing Pee-wee makes me sad. And it's not even that Paul Rubens looks particularly old. This is not a knock on Paul Rubens. He's held up fine. It was missing a certain whimsy. I will say, I thought The Force Awakens did it successfully. Well, but this is what I'm saying. There's something about it that's specific to comedy. Because in drama, you could sort of lean into that. Like, I agree. Like, Mark Hamill looking old and haggard as Luke Skywalker is very effective. because. You you invent we're so emotionally invested in him and to see him again after all these years and like it's meaningful. I'm saying specifically for comedy, it's hard to just like let loose and laugh at these goofy characters when you're just like this reminder of their mortality hangs over the whole thing. Like, oh, Bill and Ted got old. Like they look old. And Keanu looks great. I'm like, look at me talking about Keanu Reeves looking old. Like, I should be fucking embarrassed. But like, you can't help it. Like, even Keanu Reeves, since Bill and Ted has aged. There's just an inherent melancholy that it brings. And I feel like on some level that always hangs over these kinds of reboots, that it's just it's also reminding you that it's been you've lived 20, 25 years of life since you enjoyed this. Every reboot is a sign of our mortality. Please enjoy this episode of Animaniacs, a constant reminder that we are all inching ever closer to our graves. Whether I laughed or cried, it is no matter, because one day I will be nothing and nowhere. Lon, moving on yeah. from Animaniacs, available on Hulu. You know what? A surprisingly fun, good time show on Netflix, at least I thought, We Are the Champions. I I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed, when you, re you I believe you were the one who was like, let's check this out, and I was like, ugh. It kind of, to me, and you were right, I'm here, I'm here in praise of you. It kind of, to me, looked like one of those, like, it's Sunday at four, you're watching ESPN 7, and we're going to desperately, we're going to desperately try to make you interested in darts. And like, I felt like that's what this was going to be. Juan, uh, side note, I watched cornhole and Korean baseball during the pandemic because I'm a sports head. You know that. You had to scratch that itch. I was getting desperate. Those are my two top Pornhub categories. Cornhole plus <laughs> Korean baseball. It's only eight videos, but they're all good. The, the thing... <laughs> Sorry about that. They're in the rotation, those videos for you. Juan, why wouldn't you just favorite those videos? Like, oh, why do you know how so much about how Pornhub works? Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, come on, Lon. Like TMI, dude. One thing I loved about this show, we meet some people who are wired very differently than like your ever than everyday folks. Like like they're like the first two episodes, I thought both of those episodes were great. Like I because I just it was pretty much a Netflix recommended this show and I walked in as my wife was watching it and uh, like and she's like I don't know, I just came on. And like I had to watch uh, several episodes in a row. Yeah, it's uh, just to fill people in. It's so it is a docu series, and each episode looks at a very offbeat. I guess you call them sports, like competition. Like some of them are more sport like than others. They're all like events or competitions, and it so it, it looks at here's what the competition is and its history and, and a little bit about how it works, and then they profile like here are a few of the big competitors this time that are going to try for the championship and let's get to know them a little bit. And it always ends up the thread that I really liked it because I thought at first that it was going to be a little bit more like, like more just about the events and the sports and the following it like a sport. And it really is kind of a sweet show about how all of these communities form and like people really do these silly activities, not for the love of the activity, but as a way to bond with the people around them, as a way to keep local and family traditions alive. Like it's really just about the community coming together. And it's not really so much about rolling cheese down a hill and then chasing it or dancing with your dogs or whatever. Yeah, that first episode, especially there's a bond in the community. But our hero of that episode, the main woman that it focuses on, she is a fucking psychopath. But I love her, you know, just a maniac. I She is wired very differently. Yeah, and she's a real character. Yes, like kind of a modern day pirate girl, Pippi Longstocking like lady. But it, just, it just lets you get to know her without, it's not, it doesn't have that reality thing of trying to, uh, to embellish and hype everything up and make it larger than life. It's just a profile. And it is the weird thing about the show to me it both has this sort of whimsy and this sweet authenticity and and quirkiness. And it's like the whole show was produced with that one very consistent, sort of very warm-hearted and humane tone. But then it is narrated by Rain Wilson, who's also a producer, Dwight from The Office. I, I felt like he was trying to do another kind of whimsical touch with his voiceover. It's too much, and it ends up becoming almost snide, definitely like arch. Like it felt to me like people are going out on the road across America and the world and filming these very sweet, kind-hearted, genuine 30-minute documentaries. And then they're bringing it back to Rain Wilson in a studio and he's fucking goofing on it a little bit. It's true. I mean, we're, you know, to his defense, we're looking at some really quirky stuff in these episodes, but he's leaning into the quirk. He's like, these people... They're weird, aren't they? It's a little condescending, I think, the way he... Like, the cheese one, it really struck me. Opening with that one is an interesting choice because he's maybe at peak condescension there where he's like, it may look crazy for you to... Like, just a, a real quick one about this cheese thing. People need to be... People need to understand that this is a race down almost a sheer, like, straight downhill where... People, you can't stay upright. You're going to tumble and fall. And it's basically, hey, what if the whole town went out in the countryside and got concussions one day? Everyone, it's like concussion a palooza. So, yeah, I think you got to say these are some interesting folks with uh, who are willing to immerse themselves in this. We get it. I, I was not at a loss for understanding that this is dangerous and some people hurt themselves. You you really don't need Rain Wilson to come in and be like, don't throw yourself down a hill, folks. He's just, he's doing it in this way that's like, like he's describing the activity in a way that makes them all sound dumb. And like, you could do that to anything. Like, you know, like, oh, and whoever rolls down the hill the fastest wins the title of top cheese man of the city and gets to hold the cheese aloft. And he's doing it in this condescending, like sort of, yeah, like, like snide tongue in cheek sort of manner. And it kind of, it kind of bugged me. And I was also thinking you could do that for any activity. Like we were talking about chess, like you could talk about chess that way. We just don't like, and they both move their pawns and their pieces around the checkerboard. Whoever gets closest to the queen first wins. Like you could do it that way. Like, (laughs) 
Oh, look at these people. They have to spend their time playing with these plastic pieces on the checkerboard. And if you become best in the world, you get the title of Grandmaster. You know, like, and that's what he's doing. And it, it's like, you just don't, you don't need to. And you could do that for basketball. Like, like ever thought about throwing an inflatable ball into a hoop? They do it all the time in Indiana. Like, okay, you could reduce any... We're all just a bunch of, like, hairless apes running around throwing balls and playing games with each other and shit. Like, you could reduce anything people do to sounding dumb because most of it's dumb. But, like, why? But why? You talk about sex that way. Oh, these two don't want to engage in an intellectual pursuit. They want to give it up to pleasures of the flesh, and he's going to cut his pee-pee in the lady parts. Ooh, do it. Do and then is he going to call her the next day? Maybe not. That's how it goes in the world of sex. You know, like it's. it's oh, swipe left, swipe right. Yeah, it's just so like, it, like, I don't know. It felt like he had this audience in mind that was going to be like, <laughs> look at them with their pepper eating. <laughs> and it's just like, that's so not the vibe of the rest of the show. It just felt like really like if I was in the booth, I would have been like, Rain. Listen, that was great, man. That, that was super good. If I could just, could we just do it one more time and like, just be like 10% less of a dick? Like, just like you like these people and you think that it's interesting what they're doing. Okay, can we try it again? No, I want to judge them with my intonations. Did I stutter? Another, it's another office rep. Here's Rain Wilson uh, describing people using dating apps like Tinder or uh, Bumble. Ooh, I want to meet a lady. I want to meet a boy on the computer. I'm not going to go out in real life. Swipe left, swipe right, la-dee-da. Ooh, send a message. Well done. Yeah, I got, I got, a, little, I got a little peeved. I got a little tired of, of Rain's attitude, despite enjoying the rest of the show around it. I just was like, Stop talking down to everyone, man. Like, it's a celebration. Just learn to enjoy life. It is. It is. And yeah, I love the first two episodes. And they fly by. It's a brisk show. I like the whole show. I watched a bunch of them. They're all, it's great. It's fun. You, you learn a little bit. And the, the people, they really do. They did a great job. Whoever went ahead of the production and like scoped everything out and picked what the episodes would be and met all these people and found the people who were going to be on the show and did the casting. Those people fucking nailed it. It's like so good. And they found such great subjects and topics. It's, it almost made me feel bad that we have to watch it with this guy just kind of like who's sort of tired of it and who just kind of like is trying to like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's just like, I wanted I wanted one more take where it was like a little bit more celebratory. You're just a Jim Halpert guy. You're just a Jim Halpert guy. I was looking at the camera in my apartment constantly while it was on. Like, Yeah, you were doing t constant takes. Constant takes to the camera. I mean, you're a Jim Halpert guy. I actually don't. I hate Jim Halpert. I like, I like Dwight on The Office a lot better than, you know what? It's sort of the tone of voices if you're an Office fan. It reminds me of like when Dwight tries to explain things to other people in the office. And it's always in that kind of like they're like he thinks they're children. Like, like this is a shrewd buck. Like it's that voice for 30 minutes. And he's talking about real adult people. Before we uh, put a pin in We Are the Champions. Yeah, one of my favorite moments was from the second episode that was about a chili pepper eating competition, which is intense. Like I had. I mean, I gathered it, but wow, this was very intense. The episode is called Chili Eating, by the way. And when I first saw that, just the title, I was like, is it like who can eat the most chili? That's a disgusting. I don't know if I want to watch this episode. And then it really is not. It's not less disgusting. Like, it's still a really disgusting thing. Oh, it's it's pretty horrific, but super entertaining. Man, it really just resonated. And I thought it was an, just an amazing moment where when one of the competitors in this chili pepper eating contest described eating these incredibly hot, you know, beyond ghost pepper chilies as swallowing razor blades. And I was like, damn. And that's what I mean. Like, you've got enough stuff like that in the show that you don't need a guy to then come in and be like, who would do this? Would you eat a pepper that's going to make you shit bullets for two weeks? I don't think you would. Like, I don't know. Rain, shut up. So We Are the Champions is available. Six brisk episodes on Netflix worth checking out. Yeah, this is like 
this is one of those like quick weekend binges where you're gonna plow through it in like one or two sittings. I predict. Can I be honest, Hal? I kind of have a thing about Rain Wilson because I went for an interview at his company, Soul Pancake. Remember, you used to have that YouTube channel. This actually feels like, in a little way, this show feels like it's not affiliated with Soul Pancake, but it kind of feels like it could have been, right? Like, this sort of feels like it could have been. And I went, and I had one of these interviews. Soul Pancake used to do these, like, uplifting, It's it was like YouTube goop basically like they weren't trying to sell you yeah or like an up rocks kind of thing they weren't trying to sell you like a vagina egg but they were trying to sell you like life is good and people are healing and come together everybody and so they brought me in once it was one of those interviews where before i went in they sent me a bunch of like work to do like here are a bunch of shows come up with ways that we could you know like promote all these shows basically like tell us your first month of work but like ahead before we pay you which already I kind of didn't like. And then the interview itself was just like, like, like I could tell that I was not who they were looking for. You know, it's like soul pancake. They want like a 24 year old vegan who like, you know, is like, yeah, you like me are just an old jaded bastard. Yeah. Right? And then I walk in, I'm like, what is that? Have I written for some YouTube channels? You guys need content. What are we doing? We talking Snyder cut. What's going on? And I was just like, not their vibe. But they still wanted to, like, pump me for all my ideas. And it was like, if I'm, listen, if I'm not your vibe, that's fine. But, like, don't then ask me for all my free ideas before you obviously don't hire me. And I say I was anti-Rain Wilson because of the experience. He was not there. Like, he owned this thing. He was not involved. It was right. But he's guilty by, he's obviously guilty by association. But it was all, like, their videos were all, like, these questions that they asked people on the street. And then they wanted me to promote them. And the questions were, like, crazy. The questions were, like, if you could have one wish, but it would be granted to a stranger you'd never met and not you, what would you wish for? And they would like oh ask this God. to people on the street. And it's like, why don't you ask like an interesting, good question instead of like this crazy? Yeah, question. I don't know. I hope the stranger, you know, is happy. Yeah, so I think we found out two things today. You know, Lon has a lifelong vendetta against Rain Wilson, and I am a Swifty. There you go. That is, I think those are the only two things we've extracted from today's show. Absolutely. Lons, at Lons, can you tell us where they can find you? At Lons on Twitter. That's the best spot. How, how spoiled the surprise. You can also go to find my newsletter. I write the Inside Streaming newsletter five days a week. It is about all of this, all that news I gave you guys at the top of the show. You could have read that already in the Inside Streaming newsletter. I don't know why you didn't. You're in great. It's at inside.com slash streaming. Just go there. It's free. Put your email address in and I will be in your inbox every day. How delightful. Oh, yeah. What a treat. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K on Twitter and Instagram, just posting uh, stupid stuff and talking about movies and TV and talking shit. Also, check out my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Chuckleface. We're doing several comedy shows a month over there, including Tournament of Nerds, our long-running pop culture debate show that I started at UCB with my pal Justin Donaldson. And also, I would kindly ask that if you can, go rate us on app on iTunes. Give Binge Boys five star. Give us the five star treatment. Roll out the red carpet but, for us. But be genuine. I would be willing, if you really, if you don't love it five stars, I would be willing to go down to four. I think we can be reasonable. I would prefer five stars. If you feel like it's only a four star podcast, by all means, vote your heart, go four stars. Any lower than that, you're dead. But four, I think, you know, be fair. You know what? I agree with Lon. Thanks to Starburns. Thanks to our producer, Adam Macias, who always kills it week after week. And thanks to everybody for listening. Who? who? Thanks to Rain Wilson for my like, true <laughs> inspiration. Thank you, Rain Wilson, for narrating the show. Bye, everybody. He did a good job. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.